The Midweek at Wayne Hills podcast is a ministry of Wayne Hills Baptist Church. You can access the podcast on a variety of streaming platforms, including Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Simply type Midweek at Wayne Hills podcast into the search bar to access each episode. We release a new episode every week, so don't forget to click the follow button on your favorite streaming platform to receive a notification when a new episode is made available. And if there's a question you'd like for us to answer on an upcoming episode, simply email will at whbc.net. We'll be glad to answer any questions that you send our way. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, church family. I want to welcome you to another episode of Midweek at Wayne Hills. Uh, I'm Pastor Will. And I'm Pastor Jamie. And uh, we're glad that you're joining in with us uh, this morning as we sort of review the sermon from this past Sunday. Uh, as you know, as part of our Midweek podcast, we, we do what we call a sermon remix, where we take the passage from the previous Sunday and we dig a little bit deeper uh, into some things that maybe didn't make it into the sermon, right. uh, maybe discuss some additional applications, and really uh, help to give us a well-rounded view of uh, the passage. So this past Sunday, we actually concluded our six-week series, which we titled The Good Life, uh, from Romans chapter 8. And so uh, the sermon was from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. I'll read the passage really quickly, and then uh, I'll turn it over to Pastor Jamie because he's got some things uh, he wants to introduce and some questions and some discussion that we'll have. So Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 31. Here we go. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over us all, over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress persecution or famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, man. So that, uh, that passage uh, really is about the greatness of God's love as it pertains to the security that we have as the community of faith in Christ. And so, you know, there's, there's two realities that are there. There is God's great love in Christ, which is greater than anything that this world can throw at it. Uh, which speaks through the accusations that sometimes we hear from the world and from the devil, and ultimately even sometimes accusations that come from within. So God's love transcends and really just transforms um, any sort of fear and doubt that we have into confidence and hope. And, you know, when when I... 
preached this message and began to think through how to present it to our church, uh, one of the, the, the primary passages that came out was uh, that I think really represented uh, the contrasting realities of God's love and the trouble that we feel and face in the world, of our faith in him sort of waxing and waning and ebbing and flowing, uh, coming and going, is the passage in Matthew chapter 14 uh, where where Jesus is walking out on the stormy sea of Galilee to the disciples, and Peter just has the, we would say maybe, the audacity <laughs> to say, hey, let me come out there and walk with you, right? And uh, so he does. He takes this step out, and you know everybody who read this passage for the first time Heard it preached for the first time is absolutely exhilarated by this. Here's Jesus and Peter walking towards each other, and uh, well, and so it happens. And we, if we were on the water, like Peter, would more than likely have made the same decision to take our eyes off of Jesus and to look at the wind or to um, look at the waves and to kind of feel the wind and. Uh, begin to sink beneath the, the, the cool waters of the Sea of Galilee. Um, but God and his great love for us, Jesus and his great love for us, in this example, man, we just see it that as Peter is going down, Jesus' hand is going in the water. Uh, I think of that uh, really beautiful picture um, that is, uh, man, if you, if you were to Google this account, you would probably see an image of Peter under the water and Jesus reaching his hand down mm-hmm. in to, to pull him back up again. And um, I think that whole story is just this incredible example of our story, of our faith story. I mean, uh, what do you think about that? I mean, how does that, um, there's, a, there's a tension that as we think about Jesus and Peter and Peter's faith and what Jesus did. And Romans chapter 8, God's love for us, Jesus's unending, unfailing love for us, uh, who are people who, man, we don't always do what we should under the tribulation and distress of life. Yeah, there is a, you you mentioned the tension. I think all of Romans 8 is is one big tense chapter because on the one hand you have this recognition of suffering and struggle, right? There's this reality for the believer where it's almost a two-part reality, one being that we're redeemed. Yeah set free from our sin, set free from bondage and condemnation, but also still living under the effects of sin, under the weight of sin, and those kinds of... So I I think you see that tension, and when you look at Matthew 14, you see that tension in a real-life scenario where Jesus steps out of the boat, walks on water, which, just even think about that for a moment or two, is mind-boggling, right? Mm -hmm. Peter sees this, and and I love Peter, because I resonate with Peter in... (laughs) the struggle of Peter's life more than the Acts chapter 2 version yeah, of Peter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so he steps out of the boat very quickly right. and he's, you know, he's he's fixated on Christ and he's walking on the water and then almost instantly maybe he realizes I'm not as buoyant as I think I am. <laughs> and he he starts to sink, right? He yeah. he starts to go under. Um, <clears throat> I think here what what you see is you know, so often I, I think God's people we struggle in the Christian life because we don't rest on the assurances that we have, right? Romans 8 provides us a, a, a series of assurances, reminders of God's love and God's work and God's power and God's authority and God's promise. Like you could use any word and you would have the assurance there that God is working and taking care of things. Yeah. And I think so often we struggle to live with that 
in faith. Right. Right. We see the world. We see the struggles. We see the wind and the waves, the metaphoric wind and waves around us. And our faith, faith suffers because of it. I think because we forget. We're, we're, we generally tend to be forgetful people. And so I, I think that's where some of that tension becomes problematic for us. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you think about this example... Uh, in Matthew chapter 14, which I encourage you to go back and read. Um, man, it's a fascinating entire story. Um, at the end, everybody is worshiping God, mm-hmm. e- right. even even though Peter's faith was, was not adequate, mm-hmm. um, and Jesus still gets glory, which is a beautiful um, uh, sort of application to the passage anyway. But when you think about the winds and the waves, these external uh, enemies, if we would say, and then we think about how that impacts uh, Peter internally, and he begins to uh, waver inside of him, listening to you know the, the voices from within um, that cause him to doubt um, Jesus and, and his power. It's really this picture that we have in Romans chapter eight, verses thirty-one through thirty-nine. Um, you know, Paul is uh, Paul is writing to a group of Christians that um, are persecuted and who will be persecuted whose kids and grandkids we know were persecuted by the Roman Empire. And so these are people who um, are daily going to be struggling with maintaining faith in Christ while there is outside oppression that is impacting them internally. And those um, those accusations from within, those fear and doubts uh, from within will rise up. And he knows this, and in anticipating this, um, because this has been his experience, will be his experience, and this was Jesus's experience, really. Only he, uh, of course, interacted perfectly with all of his persecutors and with the forces of evil. Um, he suffered, so we're going to suffer. We're going to go through these things. And so the, the encouragement that Paul gives in the first part of Romans chapter, um, I guess, 8, verse 31, it says, What shall we say to these things? And these things is, is pointing back to, to really all of the, the difficulties, all of the trials in light of God's just uh, sovereign work of redemption and care, that he's going to work all things out for good, that he's going to work out his personal salvation, redemptive purposes for his people individually and collectively as a faith community. And so um, what shall we say to all of these things? That the, the good transcends the bad, right? Yeah, if God is for us, who can be against us. And it's such a an important uh, it's such an important phrase or section of, of, of words there that needs to be underlined when you when you read this passage. Because what Paul does is he gives an example of how God loves us and then he gives many examples of you know uh, all of these outside and inside things that um, look to separate us from God's love. They can't separate us from God's love. And so in this first example, maybe you could talk a little bit about this. How can we know God is for us and that he will not condemn us? I mean, verse 32 really gives us this, uh, this answer of how God deals with his son, therefore how he will deal with us. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, uh, the end of 31, if God is for us, who is against us, connected to verse 32, really provides the foundation of faith, mm-hmm. right? That it's not just that God has good feelings towards us and declares nice ideas about us, well, I really like you, so that's it, right? And our faith is not blind faith where we sort of walk without evidence. Right. 31 tells us that God has these 
affections for us. And verse 32 says those affections were demonstrated so that we can tangibly see and know when we talk about God's love that there's something to grasp hold of legitimately. It's not just this sort of vague idea or abstract concept, right? That God's love was demonstrated in time and space in human history that we can look back on the person and work of Christ, see God's love on on, on display, and then respond in faith moving forward, right? And so you see that. If God is for us, who is against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul's, Paul's question is almost rhetorical to say if God has done these things in Christ in salvation, setting us free and right, mm-hmm. delivering us from condemnation and bondage, why wouldn't he do some of the other things that, yeah. that he's promised, right? And yeah. so you have this, this part A and part B part of the Christian life where God has saved us, but God is also working all things within us for our good and his glory. Yeah, the and the I, I like how um, the New American Standard and the ESV sort of play off of each other uh, because in the latter part of verse 32 it says, how will he not also with him graciously give mm, us all things good. with the ESV? And yours is freely. freely. Yeah. And so it reminds me of the Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith and yeah. not of yourself. Uh, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The idea of that free grace that is given to those who uh, believe in Christ. I love that. And so because of that, who's going to accuse us? Who is going to bring a charge that will stick against those who are elect? The elect is the those who receive Christ, those who are in Christ, the called out ones, the the, the church, as Paul right. would be writing this to, God's the one who justifies. We know that from portions of Scripture like Romans 5.1, um, carried out into the beginning of this sermon series in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that talks about how justification comes through Christ. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. We are given new life and forgiveness um, through Christ, and so therefore God will not condemn us because he will not condemn his Son. Uh, So there's this beautiful picture of of Jesus Christ interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, In in this portion of Scripture, um, some of the the language um, really points us back to um, an Old Testament example. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we know the story of, in Genesis chapter 22, of Abraham and Isaac and and what God called Abraham to do to go up the mountain and offer his son up. Uh, as a supreme sacrifice. And um, um, I, what I'd like to do is, um, Pastor Will, just talk, talk us through that a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and then maybe uh, bring us forward into the present. Uh, because I think what we look at when we see Abraham and Isaac in this example in Genesis 22, we see how God went so much further and his sacrifice is so much better and deeper than Abraham's foreshadowing with Isaac. Yeah, so uh, Old Testament Genesis 22, um, it, it starts with this sort of unusual command for Abraham to take his son, his only son, right? The promised son, the one who was long awaited, mm-hmm. and uh, take him to the mountain that I'll tell you. He doesn't even tell him where he's going. Just get up and pack your stuff up, take your son, and walk. Because when I tell you where you're going, you're going to sacrifice him there. Yeah. I think what I find fascinating is that at least in the in the passage, there's no details as to Abraham's emotional response other than he just gets up and does what he's told. Yeah. Right? And so they take this journey, they pack up their servants, and they go. And then as God leads, they get to the, to the mountain, 
They say, hold, you know, let's wait here. We'll go. He and I will go and we'll come back to you. Like there's this unspoken sort of assumption that the Lord is going to work all this stuff out, right? Yeah. So they get up to the mountain. They build an altar. Abraham lays his son on the altar. And as you mentioned, you know, in the sermon that he, he starts to plunge the knife down. It's, it's on its way down at that point, And he stopped dead in his tracks and hold, told, you know, now I know you won't withhold anything from me, even your only son, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see this, this idea that, and it, it sounds strange that the Lord would test Abraham in this way. But I think, I think it has, there's, there's one, the foreshadowing to Christ, the one that God didn't withhold his only son. Yeah. But I think practically for us, it's a demonstration of faith and obedience coming together, yeah. right? You have Abraham walking with his son, setting up the altar, making these statements of we'll be back and the Lord will provide and the, the sacrifice is not here, but God will bring the sacrifice, that kind of thing. And then you have the obedience to actually really go the distance in what God has what is what God has commanded. But I think in God's love, he recognizes that yes, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, as terrible as that sounds. But Isaac was an insufficient sacrifice. Yeah. His death would have been fruitless right. to accomplish what God had ultimately intended and what what ultimately needed to happen. Isaac would have been a pointless death in yeah. a sense, right? And so right. that's the foreshadowing that when we see generations later, thousands of years later, the coming of Christ, and when you read it in Romans 8, um, you see that God fully intended for salvation to be secured in one sacrifice alone. Yeah. Jesus, his son, the sufficient sacrifice that could take away the sins of the world once for all, not on you know this sort of cyclical calendar repetition sort of way. And so I think you do see some some foreshadowing. I think you see some practical applications from the narrative in Genesis compared to the statements in, in Romans 8. I like the, uh, the connection there between faith and obedience and Abraham and uh, Isaac and what uh, God asked him to do. Uh, and pushing forward, we look at and even see that, you know, Jesus had to trust and obey the Father, right? right? And he calls us to trust and obey him. And uh, that faith and obedience is just this interlocking evidence that right. we love God and that he loves us, right? And our love for him is imperfect, uh, and his love for us is perfect. And so uh, when we think about the security that that gives us, uh, you know, we we look at who can bring a charge against the elect. And there are those who try to bring accusations against yeah. the elect, who accuse God to man and accuse man to God. And uh, so thinking through some of those uh, in some categories, right? Um, Satan is yeah. called the father of lies, is the accuser of accusers who accuses God to man and man to God um, from the very beginning in his interactions with humanity. With Adam and Eve in the garden, he uh, accuses um, Adam and, or God to Adam and Eve uh, and says, right. God is not good and he is not trustworthy. Um, and so in that sense, uh, Adam and Eve believe that what God has for yeah. them is not good, um, that he is not trustworthy. Uh, and so they believe those accusations, and then we have, uh, of course, sin that followed that terrible uh, mm-hmm. accusation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have the category of self, where um, we've already made mention in the beginning of this how the outward affects the inward when it came to Peter and the storm impacting his fear and his doubt, yeah. right? Well, we also know that's true of our own lives, 
that um, we have a tendency to look outside and to listen um, to ourselves based on what we're seeing or what we're hearing apart from the Word of God. And we can tend to condemn ourselves and shame ourselves. Um, We don't see ourselves with the dignity and purpose that God has given us, the design that God has given us. And on the other side, there are those who, uh, when it comes to self, um, will think that they don't need God. They don't need any help from Him. And so they believe those lies. And the final one uh, would have to do with uh, the world around us, humanity. We listen all of the time to the world's accusations. One man put it this way, we may accuse ourselves and then may accuse us, but God will never take us to court and accuse us. Jesus has already paid the penalty and we are secure in him. Our Christian experience changes from day to day, but justification never changes. Mm. And that's Warren Wearsby. I love that that quote. But what are your thoughts on these things, these uh, these different categories of of uh, I guess uh, sources for um, accusation against God's God's people. Well, I mean, does any of those stand out? Or I know that you also uh, are uh, in the counseling world yeah. uh, a lot, and you might see these things as you interact with people as well. Yeah, I think from a from a counseling side, um, you, you definitely see the second one more often than not the, the self accusation um, that we we are failures, right? We, uh, we have no hope, there's no purpose, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're not good enough, all these things. And then on the other side, you, you also see, it's interesting how y- you could look at, you could see both sides in a single person, right? There are times where we self-condemn, and then there are times where we self-justify, where it's, you know, I'm better than, or I don't need, or I'm okay, or I'm good enough, whatever it is. And, and I think we have to be really careful there, because I, at least I know for me that that's, that self tends to be the the biggest accuser, yeah, um, and it undermines my faith more so than the world around me, more so than uh, than Satan and sort of getting me to think differently. I think at, at this point in my walk with the Lord, I think the biggest struggle is just the sort of the internal head voice, right, that yeah. <laughs> rises up. I remember, um, I don't, I remember growing up watching uh, Looney Tunes, the cartoons, you know, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, mm-hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, every now and then they'd have these these episodes where there was this angel and devil on the shoulder, and the angels tell them to do the right uh, thing, and the yeah. devils tell them to do the wrong thing, you know. And right. the cartoon just depended on the episode which yeah. way he went. But I, I think that's a that's a real life thing. Now I'm not. I promise you, I'm not seeing angels and demons on my <laughs> on my shoulders. But the idea there that we have these sort of competing voices at times and, and thoughts and feelings that are super fickle depending on, on the situation, right? I think that's, a, that's an issue that Romans 8 would help us guard against yeah. to remind us of all the assurances that we have that God's Word is trustworthy and God's, not just the Scriptures themselves, but God's active Word where He, he says something and then does it, right? We yeah. see the... The promise and the the fulfillment of that promise, right? And we see that all the way throughout the scriptures, so that when we get to a portion of, of scripture like Romans eight, where yeah. we say, where we see, hey, redemption is coming, right? right? God will redeem all things. The creation groans, we groan. The Spirit testifies and, and comforts us and works in our behalf. That's a promise. Yeah. The fulfillment of that is somewhere down the road, mm-hmm. but in between the promise and the fulfillment, we have to walk a journey of faith. Yeah, and passages like this remind us that hey, it's going to be fraught with with obstacles and trials and sufferings and 
maybe self-accusations at times and this tug of war, but the Lord is faithful, so follow after him. Yeah, and you know, a practical application for this first section, because, you know, I recognize that, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we're doing Midweek at Wayne Hills is not just for our church family, Mm -hmm. but for others who might be listening and and leaning into this who, who, who need the encouragement. Um, So one practical way to sort of listen through the accusations and to be able to um, push through the the doubt is to keep God's Word in front of you as the lens by which you see everything else. Um, Even yourself uh, is to listen to God's Word above self-talk and self-chatter. That's right. Uh, Is to listen to God's Word above and beyond what your culture is telling you. Uh, and, and so, I mean, how do, how do we practically do that? What are some ways? I mean, stay in the Word daily, right? Um, find people who are in the Word daily. Spend time with them. Um, covenant with them. Um, find a church where, where there is the, the regular preaching and teaching of the Word of God, where there are believers who are not just reading the Word of God, but they have intense and solid prayer lives that they're discerning what the Word of God is. And put yourself around those folks and let that be the lens by which that you uh, determine who God is and who you are, His relation to you, your relation to Him, who He says you are. That is one of the greatest ways that you can apply uh, this portion of Scripture um, so that you don't give way to the accusations, so that you don't, as Peter did, put your focus too much on uh, the wind and the waves um, that are around you. Uh, it, you know, when we think about this this passage, we're, we're reminded that God is for us because of the work of His Son That's on right. our behalf, you know? Um, and so we're tempted to accuse ourselves. We're tempted to listen to accusations from the world, um, from the devil, um, from who, from ourselves. Um, but we got to remember that there is an inseparable union that we have with God because of our faith in the Lord Jesus. It's an everlasting bond, man, right. that sort of creates this fortress around our heart and our souls. And and no human, no no angelic force can penetrate or overcome this. And that is such good news. And so when we come to the latter section of this, second half of this uh, this portion of Scripture, uh, you know, when God is for us, there is no opponent, natural or supernatural, that can threaten His love for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, you know, really verses 35 uh, and 39 are the bookends of this, mm-hmm. That's right? right? Where he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then there's all these things, natural, supernatural, um, different types of people and governments and leaders, um, all of these terrible things that God is going to to list through the word uh, uh, of God here. Um, but it ends with this, uh, with this question, nothing else in all creation in verse 39 will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is a comprehensive scope um, to what what God uh, what God has power over and control over, uh, you know. Wor- working through this list, you know, there's example. I say example of the nothing, right? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says, nothing in all of creation. So, what are examples of some of this this nothing, right? Yeah, some good. of these external forces. Um, things like famine, nakedness, pestilence, some of the versions of the Bible say, 
persecutions um, from governments and, and leaders and despots and whatever we would say, and tribulations of varying degree. Um, let's talk about some of these. I mean, we have these today. And why are they such a temptation to give into? That because these things are my reality, that um, that God is is that His love is separated from me. Maybe unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I think that uh, it's because we have five senses, <laughs> and we understand uh, we understand physical reality through them, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, not to get uh, difficult or <laughs> complex. I'm not trying to do that at all. Um, but when we really talk about God's person and work, we're we're talking about a, a a Godhead who operates outside of time and space, outside of even our conceptions at times, right? And so th- think of it this way: we're bound by twenty four hours in a day, sixty minutes in an hour, right? Sixty seconds in a minute. Yeah. But God is outside of time; He's eternal. Our minds can't compute eternity, right? We hear eternal life, and on the one hand, we we're excited for it, but on the other hand, we're like, well, what is what is that? How long is it turning? What are we going to do for it, right? We have all these questions. And so I, I think when you, when you see something like this where the Scriptures remind us that there is no physical or supernatural thing, there's nothing that we see, hear, uh, taste, touch, experience that, that can affect God's love for us, there's something transcendent in that. Yeah. It's hard to compute, but it's something that we have to sort of walk in faith and take in faith. Yeah. Right? Hmm. Which I think goes back to verse 32 that, okay, I think God understands that we can't understand that. Yeah. And so what he does is he, he gives us tangible reminders, right? Primarily the person and work of Christ that we can sort of rest in and take, you know, have our salvation founded upon, right, or built upon. But then you, you mentioned some of the practical application. I know for me, COVID's been difficult, the isolation of COVID at times, the the not getting together as normal in normal rhythms. We mentioned it yesterday that we just miss normal rhythms of life, right? People in our homes, in and out of our homes, normal yeah. church life. I, I think that's also a grace of God, a tangible sort of in reality within our five senses reminder that God's love is is there, is readily accessible and readily available. And that counteracts the other stuff that we see that's also readily available that would threaten to undermine our faith or condemn us in our faith. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, and you know, when we, you know, we 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 can we can resonate with some of these things, right? With um perhaps some of the pestilence like you said with COVID-19, mm-hmm. perhaps even feeling at times some of the overarching um of of government um uh, power yeah. that seems to be um out of balance. Um you know, some of the Again, we come back to the Word of God written to uh, the church in Rome, but also for all people, and we think of the things that those folks would have had to endure. Um, Famine, not going with three meals a day. We have that, right? right? Uh, We have, and most of of those who are listening to this are are having three meals a day and some snacks, right? Uh, Nakedness. Most of us have uh, walk-in closets with lots of clothes. And so half of an outfit is not an issue. Um, And so, uh, and persecuting persecution. We experience persecution, but it it is not much of anything compared to third world countries and what they're dealing with. 
um, different parts of the world with persecution. So we experience these things in varying degrees. Mm. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is um, we also look at not just the natural forces that are at work, but we consider that there are supernatural right. forces at work. And so um, when Paul makes reference to this and he talks about angels and he talks about demons in the latter portion of this, and he says, listen, e- even these things, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers, some, some versions say principalities, He's talking about there is no supernatural, angelic, or demonic force that can get in the way of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And um, that is incredibly encouraging, even though that might seem to be uh, the external invisible force that is at work. We know that we have an enemy in Satan and demons who are out to destroy and to disrupt the people of God. Uh, he hates them. They hate them. And so that is that is a reality. As much as famine, nakedness, and persecution is in the world, it, as much as that is a reality for many people that are people of God, so we must acknowledge that angels and demons are also a reality and that right. demons um, are, are, are bent on destroying and disrupting the kingdom of God. Even though we know that they won't, do that. But all of these things, these external, natural, and supernatural forces, they, they sort of can shape our expectations uh, for what it means to, to live a Christian life mm-hmm. in our time or in our age. And so what Paul is doing, uh, one of the things he's doing in this passage is to paint a realistic perspective of what it means to be a believer in Christ, what it means to be in a love relationship with God through Christ. And so as we, we discern some of these things, we discern that persecution, whether it is through visible forces or these invisible supernatural oppressions, like in Job chapter 1, he didn't know that Satan was behind right. those things, right? That, that this is an everyday reality for believers in Christ. Um, enemies are ever-present until the end of time. We're never going to be able to, to get away from enemies, visible enemies, whether it is governmental, whether it is political, whether it is military or mm-hmm. or, or um, supernatural, we're always going to have enemies until the end, until their sin is done away with. And uh, so, but the good news is Romans chapter 8, 28, is that God works all things together for good for those who love him. The good news is that we, as it says in, in verse 37, um, in all of these things that are mentioned, all of these external and uh, supernatural and natural sort of forces that are coming against us, that we can be more than conquerors. Mm-hmm. Um, super conquerors is the word put together in the Greek there, through him who loved us. We can't conquer on our own. We can't conquer by mustering up the strength and pulling ourselves by the bootstraps. But instead, it is through him who loved us. Right. And when people join together and they experience that love of God in Christ, there is a secondary aspect of support that we're here together. That's right. So the early Christians were gathered together in the arena, and yes, they had the they had um, you know God's presence to preserve their souls after they were killed, but they were also they had that togetherness in Christ mm-hmm. that was a support. Um, for them, so you know, as we think about the about this and these sort of conclusions, I I, I am 
very curious uh, from your perspective uh, as to how having the right kind of expectations determines the health of our souls yeah. as Christians. Who have so many thoughts. <laughs> I've got to try to make sense of them in my head before they come out of my mouth. So uh, I, I think, you know, Paul obviously mentions principalities, powers. It, it, he reminds us that there's uh, supernatural forces at work. Ephesians 1 would tell us the same thing, that, you know, unbelievers are led about by the prince of the power of the air and believers are led about by the spirit, that kind of thing. Um, we see that, that sort of dichotomy between good and evil played out in Scripture a lot, right? Yeah, Reference. Right. And I think it's important for us to remember at least a couple of things. We talk about the health of our soul, uh, the, the maturity of our faith, all those things. I think we have to remember Colossians 1, I think it's either 16 or 17, tell us that Jesus is before all things and in, all th- in him all things hold together. The idea there is that G- Jesus is preeminent, right? He has first place among everything. I don't know if you remember a, a few years ago during the Olympics, uh, there was a swimmer, an American swimmer, who basically lapped the field three times, two or three times over. Yeah. She got out of the pool. She finished the race, obviously won the gold medal. And uh, there's a famous picture. I think it won, it might have even, I don't know if it was a Pulitzer, won an award, a couple of major awards. And she's standing on the, on the podium by herself, jacket on, warm-ups on. And she's looking out at the at the pool because the competitors are are they're basically racing for second for the silver and the bronze, right? And so she's up there just standing and waiting, watching, and the whole picture is just centered on her. And you get to a passage like Colossians one, and right. you see he has he's you know first he has first place among all things, and that's important because when we talk about Jesus and Satan, we're not talking about two sides of a coin, right? We're not talking about flip a coin, heads is Jesus, tails is Satan. Yeah. Satan and Jesus are not equal but opposite of one right. another. Right? And, even, and so even in Satan's destructive work, even in his undermining work, he still comes under the authority That's right. and the power of sure. Christ. Right? He has temporary reign right now to wreak havoc and do all sorts of things. But in due season, he's going to be not just reigned in but bound up and banished once and for all. Right? Punishment and judged. And so I think we have to remember that because if we are in the mindset where we're, where we're looking around every corner or behind every bush for Satan's work, right. we miss the work of the Spirit who actually should be leading us. That's right. You know, and so I think Romans 8 reminds us that, you know, hmm. yes, there is an enemy and yes, there are principalities and yes, there are angels and demons that are, that are maybe combating one another. And we're going to experience some of that at times. But make no mistake, God's love overwhelms those things, right. overpowers them, renders them powerless. Yeah. And in the life of the believer, we can have a sense of victory in walking in faith. You also mentioned, um, <clears throat> oh, I'm losing my train of thought on that. But in John 13, there's two portions of John 13 that I find fascinating. Almost like you have these parallel narratives running side by side. In verse 13, uh, chapter 2, or verse 2, during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. That's Jesus, right? And then you go down, John 13, verses 26 and 27. Jesus dips the morsel, gives it to Satan, or uh, gives it to Judas. And then verse 27 says, After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. What's fascinating is that there are 11 other disciples in that room, and they have no idea what's going on, right? You have this sort of toe-to-toe, face-to-face, tail-to-tape between Jesus, the Son of God, and Judas, possessed by Satan. 
And Judas is about to do something that's going to shock everybody. Right. Right? But they don't know what's going on. And I think there's something important for us there, too, that just because we see something doesn't mean that there's not more going on than what we see or hear. And yeah. so for God's people, that's a, a reminder to, to be vigilant, to be prayerful, yeah. for us to really be attentive, not just to the world around us, but to the scriptures and, and to walk in ways that would please the Lord and help us grow and walk out our faith, even in, in strange, strange times, right? You mentioned prayer, you mentioned spending time in the Word, but I, I think, too, the disciples, whether they realize it now or not, in John 13, soon enough, they're going to need each other. Yeah. Where they go scattering each one to his own way, right. at some point they're going to be collected back. Sure. And they're going to have to depend upon one another as they go and accomplish the Great Commission, as they go and essentially become the apostles, the, the founders of the early church, if you will, right? And I think there's a lesson there for us as well, that in any discussion about spiritual health or Christian maturity or growth, we cannot remove ourselves from the fellowship of God's people. Yeah. Because in that is the tangible reminders of God's love. In right. that is the tangible reminders of God's work. And in that is the reminder that we're not condemned, right? Yeah. I love how Romans 8 opens. There is therefore now no condemnation. And I love how it closes. What then can separate us, right? So it yeah. starts with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. That's right. And the bookends for chapter 8 remind us that in between those two bookends is God's complete work in delivering in delivering the believer and in making sure that we um, that we know how God has, has saved us and how he loves us. Yeah, I think too that, you know, verse thirty eight, I'm sure that neither death nor life. Uh, I, I really feel like as as believers in Christ, one of the ways that this uh, podcast and this um, section of verses can play itself out practically in your life um, throughout this week is uh, as you are keeping the Word of God first and as you're, you're praying through it, and that is your lens at seeing um, the world and yourself, um, you're going to have opportunity to listen to people. Uh, and you're going to recognize um, lies and accusations that are right. being put towards them or being uh, that, that they're believing that are coming out of them. And as a believer, you have to show discernment as you listen. That's right. Um, but carefully and tactfully, um, you know, and as God leads you, you need to address those kind of things and say, listen, what you're thinking, the way that you're believing, um, it, it's not in line with what the Word of God has to, to say about you or about Him. That's right. And um, there's a way to do that in the context of relationship and love, and that is prudent. Um, but that very well be may uh, that very well may be a way that this text and this podcast can be applied. That's right to you and me as members of a local church who have conversations regularly with people of faith and people not of faith. Um, that God calls us to represent Him well uh, and to address these kind of things. And sometimes we can't see them. There are things that we know of ourselves to be true, um, and then there are, are things that we don't know of our, ourselves, uh, these things in us to be true, and um, we need those things to be revealed to us. And it is through um, God's Word, His Spirit, and through His people that these things are addressed. Yeah, so it's, it's a very practical um, portion of Scripture. I love the way you said, as Romans 8 begins and as Romans 8 ends. Um, you know, as we, as we kind of close things out here, 
Um, Pastor Roe, why don't you talk a little bit about um, this coming Sunday? You're you're yeah. preaching a message that is uh, I'm gonna, I don't want to call it an addendum to this, but oh, yeah. it sort of is because it's not in Romans eight. But but maybe a, give us a little snippet of what that message is going to be about, and please be sure that you tune in Sunday morning at 10:45 online, uh, in person, maybe with the snow. We're not sure, but right now we're <laughs> planning in person. Um, join us as we continue this series on. Uh, really the good life and the great love that God has for us. Yeah, so um, we, at the start of the year, we sort of planned for a 10-week series, six weeks in Romans 8, the good life, and then uh, the back end of the series was going to be uh, a sort of a bridge with Rome, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Uh, we know it as the God is love portion of, of the scriptures, um, and it really is an addendum. It's It's a part one, part two. Um, and what you see in Romans 8 is a full expression of God's love for us. What you see in, in 1 John 4 is that bridge to say God loves us, now then love one another. Right. And then in the coming weeks, the, the next three weeks after this coming Sunday, will be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, right? right. Love is patient, love is kind. Yep. And it, it's important to remember that God's love naturally becomes a, a genuine love for God's people, for one another. And right. so um, I'm excited to preach it. It's not an easy passage as much as it, you, you would look at it and say, well, the passage says God is love. How do we work that out? There's some some things in there that I think we have to wrestle with and chew on a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm excited because I, I think, and you touched on it in the sermon this past week, we are, we have spiritual amnesia. We are forgetful. We are unaware at times we yeah. are completely mindless when it yeah. comes to who God is what he what he's like his nature right. and then what he does as a result and i think the the demonstration of his love is built on the fact that God is love yeah. that even right. his discipline even his justice it comes from this place of genuine love and affection right. for for his people and right. for for humanity, his creation, and so I'm excited to dive in. I preached the sermon years ago when I was a senior pastor, and I'm finding that I need to tweak a few things um, in the years since. But it, yeah. it should be good. So make plans to join us this coming Sunday. Lord willing, we'll be in person. We won't have to worry about the snow. Um, I'm praying actively against the snow. Um, in person, nine thirty for Sunday morning group discipleship groups are, are back in in session, if you will. 1045 worship. Uh, but if you can't join us for one reason or another, that's okay. Uh, you can join us on YouTube, Facebook Live, StreamSpot. We have our live stream uh, that'll start at right around 1040. You, you can tune into the service there. And uh, either way, we'd love for you to be a part of, uh, of us and what the Lord is doing at Wayne Hills. Church family and others, we will see you or talk with you uh, soon. See y'all later. <laughs>